Brick History is an informative and fun deep dive into the workers behind the professions. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend, a jackhead of all trades. We'll cover the ins and outs of jobs, careers, and the daily grind that led professionals to where they are and where they're going. On today's show, we're going to talk with, uh, well, me, a creative professional by the name of Cassie. Hi, me. Welcome to my show. <laughs> That's always so weird to introduce myself, but we've got a few more of these uh, solo episodes. And I want to say first and foremost, happy solstice out there, everyone who celebrates. For those who don't celebrate, happy summer. It's officially here, you guys. This is awesome. And I'm really excited because I am at one of my favorite places. I'm staying at a friend's place in a place called Pioneer Town. And again, this is a travel podcast. I travel all over the country, United States, all year long, and for work, for Renaissance Festival work. And usually when I travel, I stay on site. So right now I'm performing with Coronaberg Renaissance Festival. And I am not just a performer, but I'm also the entertainment coordinator. And that's been a, a fantastic job. I was actually reminded last night that I asked to have the position in 2018. Uh, and I was not given it that year. <laughs> but I guess all good things come to those who wait. So um, I also heard last night that they want me back for another year. So I broke the curse and I'm doing something right. Huzzah. Cheers to that. I'm drinking coffee. Joshua Tree Coffee, and because uh, that's not, I'm in Joshua Tree area. So as I was saying, usually I, I take my trailer to the festival site, and I'm usually camping on site at the on-grounds campground there. Um, depending on the festival, the level of security varies, but usually you have to show a pass to enter and, and get into the participant area. You have to show that you're a participant. And at Cronenberg, the space there is very, very tight. It's also a very secure site. They change the, the gate codes constantly. So not just anybody can enter that festival site, which is nice. But unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of electric and water hookups. And my friend lives only an hour and a half away. So, um, and I, I have a couple weeks off before I need to get traveling to the next festival. And I love this family so very, very much. I, I love being around them. I love their property. Um, it's absolutely magical. But it's, it's in Pioneer Town, which I don't know if anyone here knows about it. So I'm just going to talk about it real quick. Pioneer Town was created in the 50s by film persons who wanted to record westerns and they recorded they filmed probably i don't know 250 westerns or something there's a plaque in the center of town for that but it's a it's a created it's like a film created village specifically for westerns i think that's really sweet and I would love to, if there's any financiers out there, <laughs> I would love to have a situation like this for a Renaissance fair where it's 
in a semi-remote area um, and it's a bunch of people coming together and buying the property and creating the space. Not one owner, but multiple owners. And buying up the property around it, creating housing for it, allowing people to come in. And that way it's like, it's its own village. I think that would be a stellar idea. So if anybody wants to talk to me more about that, please email me at workhistorypodcast at gmail.com and let's talk. Now, I am in California, but uh, my next festival is at the main Renaissance Festival, the last two weekends in July. And then after that, I go to the Minnesota Renaissance Festival for the whole run. And I'm really excited to do that festival. I'll probably talk about it closer to the run, but um, let's get back on topic. So what is my first job? Well, I've talked about it a few times on this podcast, and I would like to go into a little bit more detail. I consider my first job being a work-study program that I did when I was 14 in Burnsville, North Carolina, which is where I spent high school years at. So I was raised all over the East Coast, so I don't really have one spot that I just, I consider home there. I consider all of the East Coast my, my I mean, I was born in one place and raised in three different spots. So um, I traveled even when I was a kid a lot, and I think that's why I travel now so much. Anyway, my first job in Burnsville at 14 was a work-study program, and it was for wayward kids or underprivileged kids. And it was a way that us bad kids, even though I was not a bad kid, but I, I didn't have, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, and so it was something for me to do during the summer, I think, to get me out of the house and stop playing video games. But I helped dig out a fish hatchery. I herded goats. And that was half of the summer, physical activity outdoors. And then the other half of the summer was learning about how to balance a checkbook and how to um, feed a family of four using the flyers from uh, the grocery store, from the newspaper. You know, they have those flyers with, with the deals of the week. And those were some really awesome skills to acquire at such a young age. I rolled my eyes a lot because I thought, I'm never going to be a family of four. Like, I'm solo. <laughs> I was even solo back then. So, um, you know, things change as you get older and you realize that, you know, it takes a village and... And nobody is uh, an island, truly. Anyway, it's, it was a way for me to really have a good, strong base of, of financial understanding. And I didn't even observe or uh, absorb all of the information, but it still was really, really good. And, you know, it helped me balance my checkbook in my 20s. I don't balance a checkbook anymore because we have digital stuff that, I mean, we should be doing it. We should be doing the checks and balances on our own banking, FYI. Um, so anyway, moving on. <laughs> that was my technical, 
technical first job, but I guess I didn't get paid for that. It was just a program that I was in. But I it was labor, so I consider that work. The first job that I got paid for, I've talked about this a lot, was McDonald's. And McDonald's in Burnsville, North Carolina, on the 1923. And I have some really great memories of both of those places and also some terrible memories of both of those places for the fish hatchery and uh, the work study program thing. I remember this one kid, um, he threw an orange. I think he was trying to throw it at somebody else. It ended up hitting me in the head. And my dad told me a long time ago when I was a kid that if I was to ever get into a fist fight, that uh, I should not throw the first punch and then kick their ass. And then I would get an ice cream. <laughs> so I was ready to stand up for myself. I was scrappy and, and I was terrified. I wore glasses. And so this orange hit me in the head and I turned. I saw who it was that hit through it and I stood up. I I steeled myself. I took off my glasses. I walked over. I raised up my fists. And I remember all the other kids were like chanting and shouting all around us to get us to fight. I found out many, many years later when he and I talked that he was raised to never hit a woman. And, and so it's so funny to have that dichotomy play out in this scenario like a kid who accidentally on purpose who knows threw an orange at another kid technically that was the first but I couldn't I couldn't justify that in my head for my dad I couldn't justify that but for for him he was told to never hit a woman so I couldn't throw the first punch because if I did, I wouldn't get an ice cream cone and he couldn't throw the first punch because I was female presenting. So we were at a standoff and I'm sure it ended because one of the, it was like during a recess or a lunch or something. And one of the people came out and, and stopped it. But I don't know that part. I just remember I was shaking so bad, but I was ready. I was ready to scrap because I had three cousins and I had been, practicing fighting with them and um i was ready i was so ready uh and then it never happened so yay for that and then mcdonald's i have some great memories there oh my gosh like spraying the water the hot water spray like there's this industrial dishwashing thing in the back and it's a it, it i don't know if all of them are still have this or not but it came down from the ceiling and was a spray gun. You just pull the trigger uh, or squeeze the handle rather and water will come out. And it was powerful. It could like spray the grease off of just about anything and it was so hot. And I remember we would have water fights with that in the back. Um, that was fun. I remember closing up and blasting i'm gonna date myself now but blasting salt and pepper albums through the the muzak speakers in the store and you know doing the mopping at the end of the day and just feeling really accomplished but the 
one person that really, and, and I worked with a lot of my friends. I worked with Willie Walkingstick and Tanya Murphy, and I don't even know if I should be saying these people's names, and the Metcalf twins, um, Brenda and her sister, which now um, it starts with a B, the Metcalf twins. Anyway, uh, but the one person who really made that particular job very special besides my best friend Tanya was Greg Woody. He, he did me such a solid my senior year, our senior year, because I was scheduled to work on prom night and no one had asked me to prom anyway. Uh, but I really wanted to go. I, I love movies. And for me, that was, that's like the pinnacle high school experience, you know, is going to your prom and having all those moments. And I went to my junior year prom. I went to the prom in the junior year, also stag by myself. And uh, I just, I really wanted to have that, that senior prom moment. And nobody had asked me, it's fine, whatever. I was mousy in high school. I, I did not know how to do makeup. I did not know how to take care of myself. Um, my mom was a, a hippie and just she did not know how to apply makeup either. And um, anyway, I digress. Greg switched shifts with me so I could go to prom that night. So that was that was such a kind sacrifice. And um, it's just so memorable. Uh, so yeah, if you're going to do something, do something nice for somebody, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Other first jobs. I figured I'd flesh this episode out with a few different things. I'm getting kind of long-winded now. Um, but let's see. When I... My first job when I moved to Los Angeles was... <laughs> Um, this is actually a, a educational thing for the in the back backstory, the back backstage photos or whatever of this podcast is a lot of times when I'm preemptively telling people about this uh, and we're we're talking we're doing the pre-interview basically and I'm saying like, hey, don't talk about anything that you don't want to talk about. For example, my first job when I was in Los Angeles, I, or one of my first jobs, it wasn't my first, but it's the one that is very memorable to me, um, was I was the credit card taker of a phone sex company. So people would dial the 1-900 number, they would connect to me, and I would say, hi, um, what's your, I need to take your credit card information. And there was a full script involved. I didn't actually do any of the phone sex, which there's no shame in that. Sex work is real work. But I did connect them with the phone sex workers that were all over the nation. And it was so fascinating to me to talk to those women and men about their jobs. I got some of the most disgusting and interesting stories. I, so I think I've been doing this podcast technically since then, um, but I just didn't record any of it. 
And I wish, I really, really wish that I had this one woman's contact information. I might have to just dial the 1-900 number again and, and if I could even find it. But it was such a, it was such a weird job. I got that job because I randomly met somebody at a party and they were hiring. <laughs> and I mean, great Los Angeles story, right? Um, yeah, my very first job moving to Los Angeles, it was at Jerry's Famous Deli. And I got to meet a lot of celebrities because I worked at the one on Beverly in um, just south of of Hollywood. And it was right next to the Beverly Center. And a wonderful Jewish restaurant, such delicious matzo ball soup. If you've ever had matzo, if you've never had matzo ball soup, it's delicious. If you can do chicken broth, it's amazing. And if you can't, if you have to do vegan, I'm sure you could make it okay. But um, matzo ball soup is so delicious. And um, latkes, oh, so good. Anyway, um, I got to meet a lot of really great uh, and very kind celebrities. And then I got to meet very, very horrible, mean, terrible celebrities. And I'm not going to out anybody on this particular podcast, but I'm just saying, like, if you, it takes a certain person to get to where they were, right? And if you're big, if you're really big, you could, if you're small, even, you could be one of two humans. You could be kind and treat every moment with kindness and love, or you could be an absolute shit and treat each other, treat other humans terribly. Now, if you're in a bad mood, once in a great moon, fine. That's understandable. Um, but also check yourself. If you're in public, I don't care if it's the restaurant that you go to every single day or once a week or whatever. Just be kind. You're in public. You are in society with everybody else. So that's my um, that's my little soapbox there. I've been... I'm going to switch up things and I've been uh, doing a lot of introspection lately and I heard about this thing called Ikigai and it's a Japanese way of looking at your life. You write, you draw four concentric circles and in those circles you write words the top circle are the things that you love to do. The right circle is the world, what the world needs. What does the world need? The bottom circle is what could you be paid for to do? And the left circle is what are you really good at? And if you write a bunch of different words in each one of those things, you will come up with what you were meant to do and what you were meant to be. I'm going to look into this a little bit more because I, I find it pretty fascinating. And it's hard to think about those things. So I'm going to talk to my therapist. I'm going to be like, hey, help me with this. Help me figure these things out. 
is maybe they've got a good way to ask me some questions about that. And I highly suggest that you talk to your therapist or trusted humans about about what these things are and look inside yourself. All right. Um, I am in California and I have a few people on my list to be interviewing coming up. So that's really exciting. Uh, I'm also really oddly close to Jason Momoa's house. So if anybody knows a way to contact Jason Momoa, Maybe I could get him on this podcast. That'd be kind of fun, right? All right. I've been jibber-jabbering about myself too long on this podcast today. Uh, Thank you for listening. Now up is Michael Gartner's favorite color. And I I hope you dig this. Make sure this is working. Silence. That's what that looks like. Talking. That's what that looks like. Playing this. That's what that looks like. Great, so that's ready to go. Um, and I just want to mic check you. So this is an example of how our interview is going to go. Hi, Michael. What is your favorite color? Uh, orange. Ooh, orange. orange. That is a rare color to be uh, a favorite that's color. That's why it's my favorite color. Yeah, that's why. I remember when I was in elementary school that all the kids were like, what's your favorite color? My color is blue. My color is red. And the teacher asked me, and I didn't want to be like the reds and the blues and everybody else. I said, I like orange because I couldn't think of anything else. And they're yeah. like, really? And it just so happened I was wearing an orange T-shirt that Perfect. day. And so ever since then, my favorite color is orange. orange. But I never wear it because it makes me look <laughs> goopy. <laughs> so, no, occasionally I'll, I'll wear something or whatnot. And it turns out I don't really like the color orange. because, oh. <laughs> Except in sunsets and oh, sunrises yeah. and all that. Yeah. And then I realized, yeah. Orange, orange is, is good. a good color. Yeah. And it really pinks is. And all that rosy stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently, I, the, my the color I look best in is green. Nice. So I try to wear more green because it makes my eyes pop. There you go. Uh, the color that I think I uh, look uh, devious in is probably like black with Ooh. red. Streets. Black with red. Yeah, nice. black with red. So if you know my costume that I wear. Is mm-hmm. black, red, and gold, mm-hmm. which are also the German flag colors, but nice. which was kind of the idea on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Orange. Thanks. Great. So that's an example of how our interview is going to go. I'm going to yeah. Don't stop. ask me that. <laughs> it's so embarrassing to me to have like the the talk throughs. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm communicating to my guest, you know, what I'm doing, so everybody is on the up and up. But uh, so um, I hope you enjoyed that. Before I sign off, I want to talk about a couple other things. Um, I, I know a lot of people are probably concerned with me saying where I'm going to be at any given moment um, because of stalkers and crazy people and whatnot. And I don't know if anyone here has ever had a stalker. Uh, I do watch a lot of true crime, so I do and and listen to a lot of true crime, and I do protect myself very, very well. I have had, um, I've had martial arts training in self defense, and in fact, one time when I was in Seattle, I took a self defense class with Phoenix Jones, and he's the he was the Seattle superhero. He's a vigilante justice guy 
and he would dress in um, protective gear and he would do a um, he would he would go to bars and nightclubs and stuff at, at night and protect humans doing doing good work anyway he would also teach self-defense classes and my friend Carla got me into that we had a, a bunch of people that took the class together that all kind of knew each other we all knew Carla in some way and uh, I was pumped I was excited I was really happy to to get this education and I think that every um, smaller statured person should definitely take it and anyone who at anyone of any size should take this um, self-defense because you never know what's going to happen um, in life. Somebody could come at you. Um, I say smaller statured persons should do it because of protectability, but also larger statured persons should take it. Anyone who feels that they could be easily overpowered. Every human body is different, you know? Anyway, we got to the end of the class and we had to prove what we learned and it was a trial and he would he would quote unquote attack us from a different way each different human to surprise us and to see if we could get away so he attacked me from like behind on the left and my my WWE wrestling training kicked in and I combination arm dragged hip checked him lifting him up off the ground body slamming him in front of me and what you're supposed to do is run out the door and not look back you're supposed to run away from your attacker and not look back because a lot of victims will hear that they've hurt someone and want to return to help make sure they feel okay and that they you know didn't actually kill anyone or whatever um so I, I ran out the door down the hallway and I, I, my adrenaline was pumping. I was like, yeah, I think I did it right. And then people are like calling me back and I'm like, I'm not coming back until like I get the safe word or whatever. Uh, and they're like, no, 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 come back, please. And Phoenix Jones was, was still on the floor. The wind was knocked out of him. And he asked me what I did because he had never had anyone do something like that in in that moment um and i was like well i i was trained as a professional wrestler <laughs> so uh so i just my my lizard brain kicked in and and that that was that so um being a jack out of all trades is very helpful now back on to location awareness and making sure that i'm safe i say where i'm at in a general sense. Yes, I mentioned Pioneer Town. Um, but if you were to go to Pioneer Town, you would not find me. First of all, it's the desert. Good luck walking around, buddies. Uh, second of all, you're not going to be knocking on every single door to find me. It's guaranteed you're not going to. I mean, I'm not saying challenge accepted, please. But at the same time, like, this is pretty remote. This is really, really remote. And... And then when I go to festivals, um, I'm with hundreds and hundreds of other people. So I have my safe places that I can interact with and go to. I know the nooks and crannies of these different festivals. 
I know who to approach and who to talk to for a safe space. A lot of times at festivals, we're trained, the adults are trained to, um, especially the bigger ones. I don't know if, if some of the smaller ones do it necessarily, but we're all trained to look out for each other. We are a village and we are creating a village. And we have the, the thing where you could just walk up to anyone um, who is a worker there and say, you can say, hey, that person over there. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Cassie. That person over there in the orange shirt, I'm saying orange because of Michael, um, they are making me feel uncomfortable and I need a safe space. Or you could just turn to someone and go, hi, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a very long time. And that will instantly take us and tell us that you are in need of help. Anyone. You could also come up to someone and say, oh, aunt, auntie, it's so good to see you. Or cousin, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Any kind of familial bond when we don't know the human It'll take us aback for a moment, but then we will clue in and get you to a safe space. We could take you backstage. We could get you um, get you in touch with security. Almost every pub at a festival um, has radios that they can ra- radio security. There's there's definitely ways to assist humans at a festival, and and so I feel very very safe and secure at a Renaissance festival. Safer than I do out in the real world, quite frankly. We oftentimes have really good security at all of these festivals, checking for weapons in bags and whatnot. The Castle of Muskogee has actual police officers who are on staff, and they they love, I'm telling you, they love getting that duty. They really do. It's fantastic for them. They're really excited for it. And um, some festivals like Cronenberg hire an outside security force that are pretty cool and are trained well to handle all sorts of different crazy items and things that come up. Um, But also, I've had a stalker before. And this might be shocking to some people who know me. And it might not be, um, but I, I never, I didn't have a stalker in the way that you would think I would have a stalker. Like I've done film, I've done TV shows. I was in a Playboy TV production called Seven Lives Exposed, where I'm fully nude and uh, performing a very simulated, not actual intimacy with humans and it was all scripted and people don't think it was but it was and I didn't even have a stalker from that what I had a stalker was from was Rocky Horror Picture Show right so weird so in the late 90s early 2000s I was involved with the Hollywood Rocky Horror cast called Sins of the Flesh And I was on cast for many years, had a lot of fun. We did all sorts of fun, crazy things. I was involved in the 25th anniversary in Vegas, and I've been on TV shows for specifically because of that. 
and um, just a lot of fun. Anyway, there was a man who was rightfully so shunned from the community for being a creep. And Rocky, along with Renaissance festivals, tend to be the more alternative side of society. And this gentleman did not understand no very well. I shouldn't even call him a gentleman. Um, He has since passed, so I'm not defaming anyone's character. But I'm also not going to mention him by name because I don't want to give him any more power over me or anyone else. But he, he felt very slighted at Rocky, and he started posting things all over Los Angeles. Printouts of my face and a couple other women's faces that he would get from the internet because we were so visible in the Rocky Horror community, uh, defaming us and saying really terrible things about us. But at the same time, we were like, whatever, dude, we're nobodies. Like, thanks for the free publicity. (laughs) You know, I didn't think too much about it until he started emailing me pictures of himself standing outside of my work, which was Brookstone at the Hollywood and Highland location in Hollywood, in a ski mask. And he would come into Brookstone with his friends and thought it was fun to harass me at work from a distance. And I got a restraining order put out on him. And unfortunately, for those who don't know, restraining orders, you have to deliver them yourself or get somebody to deliver them. The police don't often do that. That's not a, a thing that they do, even if you do know their address. Um, so we had to do our own, me and, and my friends had to do our own sleuthing on ha- getting this person's address and then delivering the freaking thing on our own, the restraining order on our own. That was terrifying. And props to my friend Jonathan for accomplishing that goal. Um, the, the bothersome, the harassment didn't stop there. But, um, but I would still felt way more protected than not. Um, And when people often look at my personal Facebook and they go, wow, you are so open with like where you are and what you're doing and where you're going. And I'm like, yeah, because I want to remember this in the future. But also, if you are friends with me on Facebook, you'll notice I oftentimes, even though it seems like I'm very open, I'm also a very, very private person. It's a it's a weird monster in my brain. And so I share a lot, but I also share nothing. So um, anyway, I'm not really sure. Oh, the stalker. So I wanted to like ease your mind and say like, hey, stalkers are going to stalk her because that person is a terrible human. And 
they are the ones who are broken. And I don't feel the need to live in fear. I do protect myself, but I don't want to live in fear. So fear not. If something does happen to me, um, I did protect myself as much as I possibly could. So check under my fingernails. All right. That's it, you guys. I've talked way too long on this particular episode. So thank you so much for listening. And I'm going to get to this outro. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm your, co- I'm your host, Cassie Townsend. The theme song is Wrapped by Greg Lestratz. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash work history. And you can see videos of me interviewing these people um, talking about all sorts of different things. So remember to rate, review, share, and subscribe. So what's your work history?